gentlemen, welcome to episode, quite frankly it doesn't matter, this is the Game of the Year episode 2019 of the 1099 podcast. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, who has completely forgotten what episode number we're on. It's something in the 230s, late 220s now, but who cares? I have a great, great guest this week, Mr. Kevin Van Ord, writer on Baldur's Gate 3, Divinity Original Sin 2, one of my favorite RPGs of all time, and Earth Knight, which just came out this month. Uh, you can play it now. Uh, Kevin, man, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Well, you know, I uh, I can only imagine, I, I now that I know that you made this new game or helped make this new game that is out now, uh, I gotta, I gotta get my hands on it. What is what is Earth Knight? Before we dive into game of the ah. year stuff, what is what is Earth Knight? Earth Knight is a game I had the pleasure of help developing with uh, the other incredible people at, at Cleaversoft, an uh, indie dev um, led by Rich Siegel. And Earth Knight is sort of a, it's it's an it's sort of like if you took a, a runner platformer and combined and turn it into a, a, a roguelike. So essentially you're running across the backs of dragons in space and you automatically run, although you have a lot of control over how your character moves. There are two different characters to control who are both awesome and distinct and the game is beautiful and has fantastic music and it's on... What is it on? What are we on? Uh, so we're on Apple Arcade. We're on PC, so go out to Steam and get it. We're on... Um, the Switch, and which is what we call it now, the Switch. We don't just call it Switch. And uh, <laughs> it's on. It's coming to PS4 in North America, but right now it is on PS4 in Europe. There was a little bit of a delay in North America, but it should be out essentially any day. By the time you're listening to this, Earth Knight will probably be on PS4, no matter where you are. And so that all means that you guys have no excuse not to play it over the holiday because you can take it on either your Switch uh, or your Apple device. Uh, Apple Arcade is actually like a really good value, like five bucks yes. a month for like all yeah. those games. It's, it's great. It, it was astounding. I, you know, we're in this age where subscription experiences, they're kind of starting to mount up. And I, I know I'm losing money by keeping my HBO alive, but <laughs> uh, I, I might I might end up watching Dark Materials one day, but whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we're here to talk game of the year uh, and it's just going to be the two of us and you know I, I definitely wanted someone who uh, came from both games media and now the games industry because your picks on your list uh, we're doing a top five this year for the both of us uh, your picks were uh, far and away more of like an eclectic kind of indie taste than than perhaps my choices were. Um, we'll go into those in a minute. I don't want to spoil what those are necessarily, uh, but I noticed that like it, like this year has been a year of uh, me really falling in love with some big AAA stuff that took some really interesting risks. So uh, you know, I guess a question I want to ask before we do dive into game of the year stuff. You live in Belgium, right? I, I do. I live in the city of Ghent, Belgium. Ghent. Yeah. I, I saw that name and I was like, I'm going to mispronounce that as Gwent at one point. <laughs> Easy to do. Um, and, and, and nobody that lives in, nobody that's from Ghent would actually call it Ghent um, because, of course, everybody speaks Flemish here, so it would sound a little bit different than that. But uh, I would call it Ghent um, for most people, so... There you have it. Or Hent, if you really wanted to be a little more Flemish about it. 
And I assume that is probably where Larian Studios is based out of? It It is. Um, that's the original Larian Studio was here in, in Ghent. And we also have um, other offices as well. So we have an office in Dublin, Ireland. We have Quebec City, Quebec. We have uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. And we also have an, a newly opened office in Malaysia. So... Things are big for us right now. Yeah, I uh, I remember going to a GDC, I think 2019 talk from uh, the one of the heads of Larian and just describing how their expansion process has worked. And it was really fascinating to like learn like, oh, yeah, this studio that made like people always think like a CRPG is like a mid tier kind of project. But here's this studio like really, really expanding, like on the level you don't you don't tend to see. For anything else other than like you know Ubisoft or EA or what have you, you know bigger names, uh, but yeah, it's what is has living in Belgium given you a different perspective on the world of video games, uh, be it be it the the design of them or just playing them. I don't know if it's given me a much of a different perspective in terms of what I expect from them or how I play them or or that kind of thing. It does give me more of a perspective on more of the the issues of things like labor in the mm. industry so in terms of the product um or the art not really but in terms of the actual pro like how uh like how the you know employees are treated and how a country can take care of its residents, those are the things that have changed in terms of how I see video games. So when conversations turn to things like labor and things like that and crunch and so on and so forth, that might have changed um, somewhat only because we're just taken care of so well here. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's Belgium. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Larian just takes really good care of us. So. Yeah, and if if any folks want to learn a little bit more about uh, uh, kind of game industry, you know, working conditions and whatnot, um, I early on in my 1099 tenure, uh, I did interview one of the original like organizers of Game Workers Unite, arguably like the most kind of well-known pro-union force in the video game industry right now. And uh, it was a really interesting talk. So definitely check that out. And yeah, Kevin, are you ready to dive into game of the year? I'm always ready to have an opinion. <laughs> Are we all? Uh, you know, let's start with what I assume is your uh, number five pick. Of course, we're going from five to one for both of us. And folks, this is just going to be uh, sure. not so much a not so much a competition or a uh, debate about what the game deserves the number one spot, but just really what we loved about each of these individual games. And Kevin, what's your first pick there? Uh, so if if we are going from five to one, if we must, if we must put things in in an order, um, which we must, is Wander Song, and Wander Song is a delightful little platformer music rhythmish game. Um, like like most of my choices, and and like many incredible games now, it's it's harder and harder to to put things into their boxes or to if you know what I mean like everything is an RPG now for example so so it's hard to describe wander song um, in terms of a typical genre um, but it is 
an adorable game in which you play a bard who essentially solves the world's problems by spreading joy through song. And you end up doing all this fun platforming in this weird, surreal world. Um, and it has its a surprisingly touching process as you go through. Um, a, a good example of something that happens early on, for example. So, so one of the ways that you use song very early in the game is almost like you're a ghostbuster <laughs> and <laughs> and you the the way the game works is that you essentially choose tones from a wheel and then you kind of do for lack of a better way of explaining it kind of a guitar hero thing where you where you match up the tones um that you're hearing with with the wheel um and by doing that you can sort of you can sort of uh tame ghosts so that they're no longer uh, so aggressive. And, and there's a whole early small storyline about basically reuniting um, loved ones, you know, a, a woman who is alive and her mother who is dead. And uh, it ends up being super touching. And, and it, so it creates these, these really wonderful, beautiful, colorful scenes out of these musical moments that really come down to sort of tone matching, but the way the game continues to use tones to to let you perform different tasks as you go through, it's it's delightful, it's charming, and in I, I think it kind of exe- it exemplifies a thing that that is kind of a through thread for me for all the games I loved most in 2019 which is it's a game about empathy and it's a game about understanding the people who share the world with you. Um, And those things I think are actually elements in all five of the games that I chose. And and it's not as though I I did that consciously. It's just something that became clear over time. You know, when I was thinking more about these games, it's like, this is something all these games have in common, which is it, it brings me closer um, to the you know to to real experience that people have, and these are games that depict those real experiences and do it in a very in a in a touching way, but not one that feels particularly uh, maudlin or feels particularly manipulative. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of feels like uh, perhaps the game, in a way, reflects like the the quality of music where. Uh, you're choosing a tone, and I, I tell people like, well, the reason I listen to you know heavy metal music isn't because I'm like angry or uh, you know vengeful or anything like that. But there is there is an emotion tied to that, like you know a feeling of action, a feeling of uh, assertion uh, that can be you know countered or balanced by something like you know I'm I'm listening to a, a Japanese lo-fi chill hip hop sure. uh, playlist on Spotify right now and. I ebb and flow between those, and it seems like you know music connects with people on that level too, but also connects people together. Of course, uh, uh, I tell people every once in a while that like Flogging Molly, the Irish kind of vaguely punk rock band, is uh, one of the few bands my dad and I have ever really connected over because it married some of our mutual interests. Uh, me with my you know punk rock DIY, and him with his like old Irish uh sensibilities and it just 
sounds like that's kind of what that game goes for. Am I am I on the mark? There? I, I you you are in in a sense yes. And another another thing that I love about it, you know, to talk a little bit more about the gameplay itself um, and and how it ties to that emotion is that that I think it gets to the heart of what it would be like to actually be a bard. Like when when I think about a game bard. Um, it's especially easy for me to think about a particular kind of bard because I'm working on a D&D game. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I when I think of a, a bard in a game, I think of, oh, it's a buff, it's a debuff, and that's basically it. You know, you're using song um, as more or less, say, a spell. And what I like about Wandersong is that it, it more gets to the heart of what being a bard kind more, really is, which is that you're using song to to influence emotion, and you, you do it in a more real way than I guess that you than you would in say um, most D and D games, where you know that's the idea behind it. You're using song to influence emotion um, or influence morale, for example. But this is a game in which being a bard do, really does that, not just on paper, but actually does that to yourself. And to the characters in the game in a more meaningful way, um, and and just one more thing that I that I really love about Wander Song, which somehow crept its way into my list, and and if you would have asked me maybe even a few months ago if it would have done that, I I, I don't know that I would have said that, but it, it really stuck with me. It's it's really stuck with me, I guess. So there you go. I think like maybe a maybe a, a more triple A. Uh, kind of version of that experience the way that you describe um, something like in The Witcher 3 there's that sequence where uh, the lady bard whose name escapes me but she's you know the relatively key player uh, sings this really sorrowful song uh, and to a to a full kind of bar crowd and it's literally a five or six minute song the game just stops it just stops like, it's it yeah yeah it just yeah it just stops and like lets you reflect on like everything that's kind of come up to this point everything that might you know come as a result later uh and maybe see a few emotions on some of these characters faces when they're not busy you know giving you quests and <laughs> sword fighting yeah. and all that jazz and uh i think that's that's definitely something i want to check out uh, as for my number five pick, I think this might be my most uh, like middle of the road, like everyone's kind of heard of this pick. It's Apex Legends. And you might think like, well, what a what a basic pick. But I, you know, I I came into the world of Battle Royale with PUBG, like a lot of, you know, console and and PC players, because uh, it, it looked like the the version of arma that i could actually get into and i couldn't really stand anything about fortnite aside from how like visually pleasing it looks i i can't build like walls and ramps to save my life i i got 10 kills with a lightsaber in fortnite the other week and i've never repeated that feat again let me tell you <laughs> but apex uh, from respawn of course makers of titanfall is everything that like you should you hear it on a piece of paper and you want to like shake your head like oh it's a it's set in the titanfall universe it's battle royale hero shooter uh, abilities and there's no titans and there's no wall running and you're thinking like well what what's the deal but really what gets me is aside from the overall of course polish of the experience uh one the the actual character abilities uh level the playing field in a way that I feel like 
you'd you you would only have to be like the dumbest guy to not like really make good use of all the out of all these abilities i take for example crypto uh, and his drone camera back when he was relatively new i was dominating with that and it felt like okay i'm not good at the one part of this game where we're you know shooting at each other and trying to get eliminations but i am really good at like watching an area and patrolling an area and it allowed me to fulfill a role that like really only overwatch had achieved before then i loved playing a healer in that game and the second thing that really gets me about Apex Legends is, of course, the uh, the ability to communicate using, on controller, the, like, R1 button, uh, saying, like, hey, let's go there, or double tap for, like, I see an enemy over there. And I remember, uh, <laughs> Josie actually told me this, uh, Kevin, I don't know if you knew, Josie and I are actually roommates. Uh, it's, uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I, uh, I, get, to li- I get the privilege of uh, hanging out with his dog, Bella, uh, so it's been a good time, but... Uh, Josie actually let me know a while ago that someone at Respawn uh, like actually got like an EA in-house award for that feature, the ability to tap like R1 and say like, let's go over there or like, hey, I'm tagging this weapon that you want clearly and, and all that. And to me, that was just like, I can't believe this little innovation hasn't come sooner. I can't believe it hasn't been made yet. And I don't know that... As a as a game developer, granted you're a you're a writer, so maybe you're not so much uh, in the mechanical systems of things. But ha- have you ever been kind of struck by like I can't believe no one's thought of this yet uh, when you're playing a game? Yes, um, I mean we'll get we'll we'll get to a few of those I think when we get to our number one. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> but uh, there there sometimes there's a point and. Most of these things are cumulative, right? You think of, you know, there, there are things that sort of occur, and then it becomes a standard, and then it just, before you know it, and, I mean, examples of this, for example, feel like the shooter control scheme on of Halo, um, mm-hmm. or they, they can be like, a lot of them are just quality of life things, so for example, holding a key to see all the items that are on the ground in an RPG that I can pick up, or that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of those end up being small things that kind of appear and then become become norm um, over time. Um, dungeon, the original Dungeon Siege did a lot of things like this. It's like, oh, hey, I have a pack animal and I can use it to store all my inventory. And uh, hey, I'm going in and out of dungeons and there's no loading time between, so it all feels like one world and this and that and the other. So... Uh, so yeah, there are games that I can think of where it's like, why did nobody do this before, and how can I, how will I ever live without it? But yeah, those those things aren't necessarily as common as something like the communication in Apex Legends. So I'm right with you. Yeah, and I think I think you know, of course, the the question hanging over every battle royale is like, well, how long does this success last? And uh, certainly, Apex has multiple hills to climb up uh, compared to Fortnite and PUBG, which does bonkers uh, amounts of money internationally, like in China and whatnot, while Fortnite dominates in the West. Uh, but to me, it really is like the perfect amalgamation of all of the the good things about one or the other. Uh, and and for that, I'm grateful that like I've been able to. Overwatch was like my first serious dive into like a competitive multiplayer combat kind of thing. And I'm 
playing apex legends has allowed me to like get way more comfortable with like well now i'm playing call of duty modern warfare because i learned to like certain things about you know shooter games and whatnot uh and it's been it's been a journey so let's let's dive into your number four pick kevin oh what is my number four pick i better go back to the list (laughs) well and I mean, it's easy to laugh, but I, I before I continue, I just want to say this. I think 2019 was an astounding year for games. Great year for games, yeah. And so I was on this podcast last year, and one of the problems I had when I was asked to come up... So, so the process was a little different because there were more of us, but it was like, okay, so choose the three games that meant most to you that year. And it was hard because I couldn't think of three games that really felt like they they mattered so much that i would say these are games of the year Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean and this year was difficult but for the very opposite reason which is all of these games feel like they could be called game of the year and i I just thought 2019 was astounding and in that spirit i will choose my i will say my fourth game which is lorelei tell me about lorelei lorelei is a follow-up um to the developers two games that came before um which were called the uh which were called the cat lady and downfall and lorelei is like the two games that came before it sort of a, a, a side-scrolling puzzle adventure but when i say that i want to make sure it's clear that i really mean like sort of an old-fashioned pc point-and-click adventure the difference is that it's that you're only moving from side to side um and so you interact with things that way and and uh, as opposed to in, in say, uh, in 3D movement. But other, otherwise, it's it's like most other, mechanically, most other PC adventure games that you would play. Um, but it isn't really mechanically what makes Lorelei interesting. It's, it's the way that it continues and finishes the themes of the series. Um, and please don't take that to mean that Lorelei isn't phenomenal as a standalone game, because it is. Um, but I, th- but what what makes it great for me in particular is that the Cat Lady and Downfall, um, you know, hit on some really difficult themes: um, trauma, suicide, um, and and sort of the things that drive us to our most desperate points in life, um, even when we don't when we don't deserve them. And Lorelai sort of takes everything to you know, to its logical extremes and logical conclusion. Um, you play as a young lady named Lorelai whose mother is in an abusive relationship and she, Lorelai herself, really wants to just be able to escape this sort of uh, this sort of nightmare that she feels she can't escape from. Hmm. And the game just takes you through this really powerful and difficult journey um it's important to note that before you if you are interested in lorelei before you play it understand that it tackles some really difficult themes in some really real ways including suicide domestic abuse um elder abuse and so forth and it's not afraid to be violent And it's not violent in the way we've come to expect from, say, for example, extremely violent shooters or Mortal Kombat or what have you. It's it's almost more violent than that because it really raises the stakes. And then it uses music, sound design, and sort of these 
uh, sort of these demonic vision type things to really hammer the point home. Um, and it just, it made me think a lot it, because like we, uh, like you mentioned about the the scene in the Witcher three with the bard, uh, Lorelai is not a, you know, not afraid to take a moment to really, you know, make you live with what you're doing in it. Um, in the Witcher three, that, that meant, you know, having a moment where you can sit and reflect and it's a beautiful moment in Lorelei, those moments aren't necessarily so beautiful. And it just leads you through so many emotions, guilt, um, how we, how we treat, you know, the people that are older than us. Um, it lets you make cruel decisions if you so choose. And in doing so reflects sort of the desperation of Lorelei herself, um, who, would do anything to get out of the situation she's in. And then you have to ask yourself what anything is anything, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean, like how far really are you willing to go? Um, And then it has multiple endings. And what's really interesting about that is that it takes something that can be just one small mundane step forward and make it feel like a powerful triumph. And overall, it's just a really interesting narrative game um, that I think people should play. And it's and it stayed with me in the same way. I, I wasn't huge on Downfall, which was the, I believe, the second game in the series. But the Cat Lady, um, if you liked the Cat Lady, and everybody should play the Cat Lady as well, you will like Lorelei. Um, it's a... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that, and that's that's basically it. It's just it's it's a small game made by a you know, uh, as far as I know, just one guy, and uh, he uh, he touches on a lot of stuff that most games never get close to touching, and and I think that's pretty phenomenal. It's uh, it's interesting to me that you touch on like the the theme of elder abuse and and uh, what may or may not happen in those kinds of relationships where. You know the the fulcrum of power has shifted in one way or the other. We do see that in real life a lot. With uh, uh, old people just have their power taken from them, their their independence taken from them, of course. And uh, it, it's funny to me that you mention all that because I actually years ago, probably like three years ago at this point, maybe maybe more, uh, I did a feature story for Polygon about like how the games industry is leaving the elderly behind. And this wonderful professor from Miami, Ohio, uh, Bob DeShooter, who actually just released a game uh, about his grandma's uh, experiences as as a civilian living through World War II um, and having to, like, hide. Uh, He did all this amazing research on, like, elderly gamers and uh, just what, A, like, what their buying habits were, but B, also, like, what they were saying about how they felt about the experiences that were available to them. And like, do you feel like these are experiences you can connect with? Well, a lot of them said no, cause this isn't, this has nothing to do with like what my life is like or the things that like matter to me, of course. Uh, and you would see elders gravitate towards stuff like, like Skyrim of all things. Uh, there's a famous YouTuber, Shirley Curry, 
who is called Skyrim Grandma because just walking around Skyrim and it's like vaguely, you know, Nordic forest and, and plains reminds her of her childhood and exploring forests and, and uh, farmland around her home, wherever she grew up. Uh, and to me, uh, more games need to start thinking about what perspectives look like from the elderly i think because there's there's a rich rich vein of untapped stories you could tell uh that go beyond the like i'm a grizzled old cop you know <laughs> kind of thing right and uh i mean i don't think it's giving away too much to say that uh the way this game interacts with that particular subject is by um you you getting a job in a nursing home and from that perspective, um, you, it, it, so it's it's something that you it's really front and center and you're face to face with. It's not something that's abstracted in any way. It's something that, like most of the things in this game, is right in front of you and real, and you're interacting with it. And uh, that's why I, that's one of the reasons I think Lorelei is, is really is an important game, and why you know the games that before it came before it are important games because you are interacting face-to-face with uncomfortable um, situations uh, that uh, for some people might be so uncomfortable that, that they they may want to turn it off. And I think that's okay if you do. Um, it's it's certainly difficult for me to, to face some of the scenes in Lorelei. I bet. Let's move on then to uh, my number four, uh, Neocab. Um, ha- Kevin, have you managed to play Neocab yet? I have not. I know okay. of Neocab, but I have never actually played it. I should actually be saying the developers of these things. So uh, Neocab was made by uh, Chance Agency. Uh, you know, it's a it's another one of those kind of collectives of game developers who all live remotely from each other and. I actually got to interview uh, Patrick Ewing, not the basketball star, but the uh, director on NeoCab about the game. Uh, just NeoCab, the the like one line pitch is kind of you're the last human Uber driver in a futuristic, uh, not quite San Francisco city, uh, and your friend gets you think kidnapped uh, by the you know paramilitary police force out there, who's like also kind of a a paramilitary corporate force uh corporations of course gig economy corporations dominate everything and and everyone's working a nine to five from an app uh at its heart aside from like the really strong writing of all the you pick up people uh on the map and you take them on the rides and it's essentially like a moving visual novel um you're driving these people to their locations and you're just you're interacting with all the crazies and the weirdos and a lot of the good people in a city who you know just have to make use of a gig economy app uh to get by because you know none of us can afford the hundred dollars it takes to get into the city with an actual cab but uh beyond that it is just this really amazing takedown of not just like a shitty gig economy and the the myriad problems that come with that societally but also millennial flakiness uh, that's really like often confused for an aloof brilliance. I'm sure you have met uh, maybe at least one person, maybe maybe more in the world of video games who comes across as like, you know, that, wow, I, I can't pin that person down 
and they're always kind of like doing something I'm not aware of or, uh, you know, if you try to like reach out to them as a friend or um, uh, like say like, hey, let's let, let's hang out. Like let's let's connect in some way, be it a friend or professional. They always end up like having something else going on. Uh, the game, without spoiling too much about it, the game really picks apart the kind of shield we give people when they are like that and really it's just like the the harshest kind of criticism of a lot of the people who live in a city like san francisco or la and you know uh mistake their uh lack of respect for people's time as just a byproduct of how busy and important they are did any of that make sense to you kevin oh well, yes, of course. I lived in San Francisco for, for I was going to say, years, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, and and all too often, I, I may not be a millennial. I'm I'm firmly uh, Gen X, but uh, I, I think all too often that person might have been me. And so that game sounds like it would be simultaneously intriguing and, and possibly uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's definitely one of those things where like. I, I had friends uh, like that who were very flaky. I, I still really have friends like that who are flaky. And there are there is generally always an internal battle between myself. Thank God I started therapy a few months ago because I'm sure it's something I, I really need to talk to my therapist about. But uh, yeah, as, as I've gotten older and I've worked more in games media and I've, I've seen a lot of people come and go, uh, it's just... I, I don't have time for that kind of person anymore, and uh, I hope to not be that person, even though I do catch myself sometimes being that person. And of course, there's always a balance of like your mental health. Like, is this is this like am am I being the jerk for demanding too much of you, or uh, or or asking uh, you to be at a place that might make you like uncomfortable or something like that? Uh, but the characters in this game really showcase a, a uh, really brilliant takedown of a lot of that so that's neocab it's probably like 15 bucks on switch and pc right now uh great game you can finish it in you know several hours so definitely worth your time kevin what is your number three? Oh, i guess i better look up my list again just in case i get it wrong i oh. think are we going with uh Yes, of course. How could, I, how could I completely forget? Uh, <laughs> Disco Elysium is my Which number three. Which I, uh, I, I actually started I started playing it last week, and I haven't gotten terribly far, but I've definitely gotten far enough to uh, have a really good idea of like, oh my god, here's here's what this narrative is really going for with the uh, the mishmash of elements in it. So please, by all means, I, I definitely want to hear a game dev's take on Disco Elysium. Oh gosh. I mean, where to even begin? So Disco Elysium is part RPG, part point and click adventure. I mean, really it's all RPG. Who am I kidding? And, and that you, that you sort of interact with in a, in a point and click adventure way. Um, in which you play as a detective um, who has lost his memory, and you sort of slowly gain access to your memory as you play, but more importantly is the kind of choices that you make. We've gotten, we've gotten very used to branching dialogues and building your character in a certain way, and often that means 
you know, how you're going to behave in combat, for example. And, you know, you, you earn different kinds of spells in your spell trees, and you talk to other people and go down branching paths, um, depending on the choices that you've made before. If, you know, hey, hey, I helped make Div- Divinity Original Sin 2, so I know how yeah. this goes. You know, you oh, select, yeah. you know, you make certain selections before you start playing and as you play, and then those in turn um, reveal... Um, options to you that may not have been available before and are not available to other players that can lead you down to new paths and new discoveries and so on. Disco Elysium does this, but it does it in a much different way. You still do have options, of course, when you're talking to NPCs in this game, but more importantly, you have options when you're talking to yourself. Um, In Disco Elysium, the most important conversations you have are with different parts of your psyche, um, and there are many parts of your psyche oh my, that you can so interact many. with. and like Dozens. <laughs> yeah, and it's astounding, um, number one, just conceptually. Um, when I think more and more about what this meant for design, um, a, a, a universe that you've created in which you're interacting with yourself in ways like that, and those then have real meaning to the things that become available to you in-game mean by very nature you had to make certain choices about what your reality in this game stands for um and i'm afraid to talk too much of that because i don't want to give anything away in terms of what really this world is like how real or not real or surreal um it it might be um but it is suffice it to say it's real enough um that I, I gosh, I, where do I begin? I could talk about this game forever and ever and ever. Um, it's political. Um, it lets you decide how you feel about the events in the world because the events themselves are political. And instead of saying, we're not going to be political, it says, we are political. We're going to let you make political choices about where you stand, about what's happening around you. And we're going to put you into situations that in which you feel the effects of of how you've approached the situation. And it's just, I mean, it's got this noir attitude. It's beautiful to look at. um, And it's written in this, no game could get away with writing, with being written the way this game is written. There is no game written like Disco Elysium. Um, It's wordy. It's very much of its own place and experience. And it's weirdly poetic, sometimes vulgar, sometimes, uh, oh gosh, I, I, I don't even know how to describe the writing in this game, except it's not like anything else. What, uh, as a, as a game developer who works primarily with narrative, uh, which, you know, for anyone who knows anything about game narrative design is a very, uh, uh, spider's web kind of conundrum. It's not A to B. It's it's a lot of different factors all at once moving around. Does yeah. thinking does thinking about the writing of Disco Elysium give you like an aneurysm? <laughs> yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that so so I know having written games that have a zillion choices and that you have to track those right. And on one hand, it means that I can I can look at Disco Elysium and be astounded because I know what that means for what for what the writers and the d- designers had to do. 
It also means that I'm really sensitive to when it doesn't work the way you expect. So, mm. you know, if the game is not responding to a decision that I've made, and, and this does happen in Disco Elysium, because you can do things in, you know, any order that you want, and so on and so forth. And not, you know, sometimes it's just not going to be something the game was ready for. And that's okay. Um, but on the other hand, one great thing about Disco Elysium being written in such a a bizarre, fascinating, incredible way is that we we can't really like I can't take anything from it in terms of style because it's too stylistic to let it become part of your own universe. You know, immediately if you were to try to emulate Disco Elysium, somebody out there would just say, "Oh, this is just like Disco Elysium," right? And that's way to its game's credit. Like, I would never be able to write a single line of dialogue in Baldur's Gate 3 that sounds like a dialogue from Disco Elysium. It couldn't happen, because immediately you would know what I was doing. (laughs) And also it wouldn't fit, because that's the other thing, is Disco Elysium... This is a game by Studio Zom, and they kind of... One of their strengths is sort of like what I would call one of the developer Supergiant strengths. Um, this Supergiant being the developer of Bastion and Transistor and Pyre, mm-hmm. and the recently come to Steam Early Access Hades, um, which is that everything fits together in a very particular way. You know, you can't have the world without that kind of writing, and you can't have that kind of writing without the mechanics that are in it. And you can't have those particular mechanics um, without having this particular kind of uh, interface and level design and so on. It's it's that kind of game where everything fits together in a very specific way to create a very specific feeling in the player and create a very specific atmosphere. And those things can't be taken from each other. So I can't imagine... Uh, I mean, there's a lot to learn, and yet at the same time, you can't take anything from specific from disco elysium and say hey we should do it this way because immediately you've taken it out of its you know out of its environment you've taken it you know it's like taking a you know an animal out of the wild and suddenly putting it into captivity and expecting it to behave the same way you'll Um, you'll immediately get someone who says that like if your if your narrative game you know deals with uh, uh different parts of your psyche speaking to you and being actual players in this drama you'll inevitably get someone who says, well, Disco Elysium did it first. And because that was such an integral part of their design and not just like a, Hey, that's cool. Let's do that. You'll, you'll still get people saying Disco did it better. You know, exactly. You can't, you can't go home again. Like once you have it, you have it. And it, I mean, some people will try, um, and probably should. I mean, there are lessons to be learned, like I said, but it's sort of like that dark souls, uh, yeah, conundrum, yeah. which is okay. You can have as many souls like supposedly souls likes as you, as you want, but again and again we see developers sort of removing this one aspect from Souls games, you know, and it's like okay, we're going to take the structure and we're going to create our own game around that. But you're always going to be compared to Dark Souls when you do that. Um, and for good reason, because a lot of you know, a lot of times you say, "Oh, this game is hard." It's like Dark Souls, or you respawn and all you know, you you rest and all the enemies respawn or whatever. And it's like, okay, so you got a part of Dark Souls, but you're you're missing the part, the, the actual special part 
Um, and it, it's sort of the same conundrum. I can't imagine taking one piece of Disco Elysium and saying, okay, this is how we're going to do it because all the other pieces are left behind and then suddenly they're just not as interesting or special anymore. Um, so yeah, you should play Disco Elysium. It's incredible. I can't even believe it's a number three on a list when, you know, let's say what we're last year, year right? this would be number one, you know, for, I mean, I would call Disco Elysium one of the best games of the decade. And I still think it's only, it's only my third favorite of 2019. So what does that tell you about what I think about 2019? Any, exactly. So, anyway, I should stop talking about Disco Elysium and let you talk about your, your number three. Well, you know, I, I I have no doubt in my mind from the couple hours I've gotten with Disco Elysium, I, I, I wish I had had more time to play it before the year was uh, ending because I think it really would have been uh, on my list or if not like, you know, number two, number one, something to that effect. Uh, so, yeah, folks, play Disco Elysium. I think it's even on sale right now by the time you're listening to this. So uh, you owe it to yourself to play just one of the weirdest but most classic kind of like CRPGs out there. Uh, yeah, my number three pick, you know, in a similar way uh, to uh, a game that, like, isn't afraid to take its time and in some ways is its own unique beast. So, like, this feels like a a this kind of game. Metro Exodus uh, is my number three pick. Uh, it's the third uh, entry in that Metro game series. And actually, I bought the books and... Uh, Again, plugging my own show here, I got to talk to, to Dmitry Gluhovsky, the author of the books, who is one of the most uh, uh, bitingly, uh, I don't want to say cynical, but he is definitely like, he's hes heavily opinionated about Russian politics. He lives in Russia still, and he's very a vocal critic of, you know, uh, the Putin uh, administration's policies. But I think because he's a a book author, he, he gets away with it. That's his kind of justification. Metro Exodus is they finally they finally get out of the underground, and you get to go on this beautiful uh, cross country uh, train ride, uh, which one of course helps kind of break up the monotony. You're in a, a, a desert of. Uh, that used to be like a a sea where they would harvest oil uh, out of it. And then, you know, you're in a like uh, kind of alpine forest environment. And to me, what makes Metro special uh, is you will not, this year or possibly any other, you will not find a shooter game that is this unafraid to let its characters like live and breathe for upwards of like 20 minutes they'll have these little sequences where you walk down the train and a couple of people are just having a conversation you think like okay this will this will end in like maybe a minute uh you know i've seen this before i've seen you know uh, wallpaper and and set dressing in a video game before uh but there was a 20 minute party scene later on in the game after you've met a couple of characters and you your your party has like really grown in size and they're having a birthday party. They're having a like 20 minute birthday party scene in the like food cart of this train. Uh, and all these characters who like in any other game would be the most generic like Russian side character, you know, the, like, hello, my name's Dimitri or hello, my name's Vlad. 
uh, they all get a like character moments that help define who they are. And you learn like this guy loves to play guitar. Uh, this woman and her child like went through this, this, and this. And I can't imagine what those kinds of like pitch meetings must have been like uh, to say like we want to we want to blow this much money on a birthday party scene or like a different scene over here that helps illustrate what these characters are going through uh, that just goes on and on and on but is that never loses any of its uh, like narrative luster. Uh, so when it does come time for something tragic or violent to happen, it almost feels like like a, a show, you know, of course, Game of Thrones is an obvious example, but there's plenty of shows out there where we do build up these relationships over seasons, literal seasons. Uh, and when it comes time for one of those characters to go, it really actually hits you hard. Did you uh, get a chance to play Metro Exodus this year, Kevin? Oops, sorry, my microphone was off for a second. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> so I, was for, I was like starting to talk. Okay, so yes, why yes, I did play Metro Exodus, and it was almost my number five on my list. Um, so yes, uh, and in fact, uh, was it 2013? Um, Metro Last Light was my game of the year, the year it came out. Oh, interesting. And so I have lots of fantastic feelings about the Metro series in general, um, and what you're describing is kind of part and parcel of what that series does in terms of letting it stop and let, letting the characters breathe. Um, the series is always good about letting its characters breathe and about letting you breathe along with them, and it's part of what makes the horror parts of that series so much more horrible. Um, because you get to understand them as, you know, living, breathing people. And it's it's also a big part of, like, how they, like, like lay out their themes. Because, of course, you've got, you know... The, I mean, the opening cutscene, Jesus, leaves, you know, lays it all out for you um, about where you were and, and you know, when, when shit went down mm-hmm. <laughs> in this world. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a peculiarly peculiarly russian game um doesn't shy away from any of those cultural influences yeah like the uh, the the like very frank sense of patriarchy in that kind of in that kind of society you know yeah it's 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 patriarchy it's fear it's um finding humor in a world that wouldn't seem to really allow for it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's fears of, you know, remaining fears of Cold War. It's fears, it's, it's, it's you know, the, the themes left after Chernobyl. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, it's not a coincidence, for example, that many of the, you know, many of the individuals that worked on Stalker would go on to then work on the Metro series. Um, and they cover a lot of the same thematic ground as a result. And but this is your this is your <laughs> number three, not mine. So I don't want to I don't want to overtake the conversation. But to say, well, that, no, yes, I think uh, I, I, you, ra- you raise a great point about the, um, the the overall themes of like fear, of course, um, and the Metro Exodus, despite ninety percent of the game really focusing on this hit journey by train and the different locations it takes you to there, uh, the opening 
hour or two are all in uh, the typical underground environment that like the previous two Metro games and all the, the books really took place in. Uh, and to me, it was really interesting seeing uh, characters like the Colonel, the uh, father figure and the like literal father of your uh, uh, love interest, your wife, uh, uh, Artyom's wife, seeing his perhaps like older sense of loyalty to the you know russian states uh begin to crumble as one of course it becomes apparent that like well actually our leaders have been able to like take these trains and like we've we've been able to survive above ground somewhat for years now uh, and we've been doing all these uh you know excursions uh but also seeing what the rest of the world looks like and the way that your relationship with him uh, kind of grows over to its uh, to a climax point at the end, uh, really, in a way, it also somewhat mirrors American politics because, uh, although perhaps maybe not as successfully, like I, I've talked before about my relationship with my father is a little strained because of politics. He is a everything but the MAGA hat Trump voter, uh, and it's been it's been a couple of long years of of uh, tackling the the problems that presents to me with well this is the guy that raised me this is the guy that like instilled all these values in me and yet here we are throwing away a lot of those values uh what what else could be wrong about me so i appreciated it on that level and you know what, Kevin, I think for our number two picks, let's move a little fast through those. I don't want to keep you too much longer, and I definitely want to give our number one picks uh, a, yeah. a good, good chunk of time because I think we're going to be able to get a lot of good conversation out of that. So uh, let's Do go what to... you will. You've got me as long as you need. So. All right. Well, uh, go ahead and with your number two pick then. Hypnospace Outlaw is this my number is... two pickup. This is made by a uh, fellow PC gamer writer whose name, again, escapes me. Oh, uh, my God. Yes. Uh, Jordan? Oh, no. gosh. Uh, no, 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 no. It's a Xavier as one of the Xavier, writers yes. um, on Hypnospace Outlaw. And, of course, Jay Tholen is uh, the, the lead developer of this very small team. Um, Jay previously made a game called Dropsy the Clown. Um, yes. And... This, you know, Hypnospace Outlaw, I, again, coming back to the, the theme I mentioned before about empathy and, uh, and really understanding the, the people that you share this world with, um, it's, it's a game that's about that. And, you know, I see a lot written about Hypnospace Outlaw, things that are true, about how it's an excellent detective game, how it really captures the era of, you know, 90s internet by basically looking like an Angel City's web page and, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Uh, for, for those that don't know, it's, it's basically Hypnospace Outlaw all takes place within um, a, a hypothetical web browser that never existed and takes place in sort of a, an alternate universe internet. Um, even though it takes place in our own universe, it's sort of, uh, you know, this is what the internet was like in the 90s, and here's um, something that might have happened in in this alternate universe version of that. Um, and so, yes, it gets the atmosphere perfect. It's a fantastic uh, detective game. 
um, where you're given a mystery and you set out to solve it um, basically through um, this web browser. Um, but it's really about finding humanity in the in people who make mistakes and coming to terms with those mistakes and how how you come to forgiveness it gives it loves its characters it gives humanity um, you learn about characters basically through the web spaces that they've created um, and as somebody who considers you as somebody who basically you're you're a hypnospace enforcer you're basically an internet mod who is sent out into this space to basically take down you know content that shouldn't be there and then it starts to kind of explore um the role of corporations in you know the way we interact with our fellow human beings and how we're sent down particular paths by corporations and it's just it's a fantastic game that i think is about something that people don't talk enough about when they talk about it um, which is they think of it as a detective game and they think about it as a game that recreates the the 90s internet but it's not really about either of those things and uh yes play hypnospace outlaw that's my number two <laughs> very uh very internet 1.0 and did, did you ever play uh it was released this year telling lies the new sam barlow game no, you know, I want to play it. I never got to it because her sto- I loved her story very, very much. So Yeah. Uh, similar vein, of course, of um, uh, sifting through. You're essentially an internet detective at this point. You know, uh, telling lies is much more about, like, looking up uh, uh, video feeds and parsing through that and kind of making your own catalog of terms to search. Very similar to her story. Uh, just across like many many more perspectives but it's been a good year for being like an internet like internet detective games you know uh and that must be large part thanks to of course the the interactivity that games afford us the the option of feeling like hey you're you're the one exploring this very uh uh internet 1.0 uh corner of the internet where you can just feel the html coding like pouring out at you uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll go into of course my number two here fairly quickly i really 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 loved a plague tale innocence did you get a chance to play this kevin i did play some of this game yes it is uh asobo studios and published by focus home and for those who don't know focus home is largely associated with like farming simulator and then also a lot of those like like weirdly gothic games like they did the uh call of cthulhu game they published that uh they do a lot of the warhammer games and they've it's felt for a long time like they've been kind of that mid-tier like we're comfortable making the like uh the okay games but they they never really lost that really cool gothic sensibility they did the sticks uh the like stealth goblin games which were perfectly okay uh, but Plague Tale Innocence, this really cool story about a young woman and her younger brother uh, who, for most of both of their lives, they've not really interacted with each other until uh, one day kind of fate brings them together. Uh, the It's assumed that, like, the young boy has a disease or is sick or just, like, weak, and uh, a number of kind of uh, Inquisition knights end up at their front door 
and kill everyone and of course force them to flee on foot and if you watch any of the trailers you know that like the primary hook of a plague tale innocence is the rats and these like just seas of rats uh they're all it's almost like in a game where uh, uh i'm trying to think of particle physics you know when you see like a million little particles explode out of a car or something like that uh i think like uh, infamous second son kind of thing like that but except it's rats and they're reactive and they hate the light and they'll eat you as soon as you step into the dark and playing it i played it for review for uh, daily dot earlier this year at every point i was like this could wear its welcome out really quickly or this could just run real thin uh, and at no point did i ever think like i'm sick of this or uh, or like this isn't doing anything new because it keeps introducing either just really new scenarios to throw you in or like a slightly new mechanic to to push you along and it really it's not quite uncharted not very few games are uh but it feels like that same kind of like well designed push forward kind of narrative adventure there are some parts of it that feel really gamey the stealth is uh you know very like who goes there that oh, was probably nobody and then the npc keeps walking kind of thing but the the world that it lets you explore and the like slow degradation of that world into this like uh very not quite cthulhu but more like i don't know just gothic you could you could you could substitute this for a doom level by the end i, I feel uh, do you think kevin no yeah i i absolutely agree yeah uh and yeah the the story managed to pluck my heartstrings at a number of times just because it really it, it reflects on the relationship between two siblings but that relationship was already strained to begin with and i think that that's something that like i have some level of experience with um it could have been very easy to treat this game like a like a escort quest of course and you are you are in a sense escorting your young brother across the way but uh they wrote him in such a way where yes he's a little shit and i do hate him sometimes but i don't want to see him hurt uh, and I think that speaks large volumes to what Asobo was able to achieve with probably half of the budget of uh, something loftier. Um, what With your time with the game, you said you played a little of it. What did you think? I did play a little of it. Um, I It wasn't for lack of enjoying it that I didn't go back. It was simply a lack of time. Um, mm-hmm. And the early hours focus a lot on sort of the... The, the sort of very gamey stealth, mm-hmm. and of course that's by nature. You know that's how games work. They they teach you how how they're going to function, and they get you used to their uh, their systems so that you can use those systems to your advantage as you as you go through the game. Um, but part of the problem too was that there was uh, another game that that came out around the same the same time. Um, not exactly the same time, but around the time I started playing it, I also started playing a game called The Sinking City. Oh, yeah. And The Sinking City, in spite of being a game I would thoroughly call not as good as A Plague Tale, um, somehow managed to grab me more. And so at a time when I was like, when I would sit down on my PC and think, okay, I have this and I have this, I ended up going to The Sinking City and then eventually Plague Tale 
um, sort of dropped off my radar, not because it isn't, you know, an excellent game, because by all accounts it is, but more just because there was this other, uh, this other game that sort of had some of the same, you know, mysterious otherworldly qualities um, that was sort of pulling me in a little bit more at the time. So, well, yeah, it's a. Uh, I I could see that. It's certainly, like there's there's got to be a camp of people who, uh, if they like Plague Tale, they're probably more interested in like. 15 or 1600s uh you know fantasy settings and and what like dark gothic architecture kind of stuff like that whereas if you're into the sinking city that's much more call of cthulhu uh kind of turn of the uh 20th century uh a little bit and uh different different horror sensibilities i imagine yeah they're they're different sensibilities they they have some of that same um so they they share some of the same sort of uh, you know your heart dropping into your stomach sort of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not be, it's not that the settings are all that similar um, or that the gameplay is similar. More that there's an emo- there's a an emotion that's similar um, that they they both seem to be evoking in me. And, and in that case, the Sinking City just ended up winning out because it was it was more going for broke when it came to pulling that particular emotion out. So that's, that's really all it was. That's really all it was. And then eventually yeah. I, I bounced off sinking city as well. Um, well, you know, Kevin, I am ready. If you are to dive into what is both of our number one picks. And I think yes. we're going to get a lot of, I think we're going to be basically gushing over this for another 20 minutes. So, uh, outer wilds from, Oh goodness. I, I really should have written some of this down outer wilds. That was made by Mobius digital. That's right. Um, another small team, of course, uh, and actually began as a student game. Did you know that I did? And actually I played, uh, a student version many years ago. Um, yeah. well, when I say many, I mean, put, put it into perspective. It wasn't like, Oh, it was back in 1998 when I first played. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that, but it was, it was, it was enough years ago that, you know, it was a significantly different kind of experience, a finished experience for one, um, when it finally got released. It had to have been, uh, something probably like GDC 2015 or 2016. Cause that's when I started attending GDC every year, the game developers conference. And, uh, uh, I, I remember seeing it during the uh, Independent Games Festival Awards and thinking like, oh, that, that looks cool, but that's that's definitely a student game. And then thinking as the new game came out earlier this year, being like, wait, <laughs> holy shit, they did it. Like they did the bigger, better version of this uh, and it, it's so good. But uh, Outer Wilds, where to begin with Outer Wilds? Um, I got to set up for those who have not played it, of course, Outer Wilds, you play a member of a kind of cartoony alien race, um, and you are about to embark on an expedition out into the stars for you know for science and for discovery and for all of those good Magna Carta uh, kind of things. Uh, and every twenty-two minutes, the universe. Uh, experiences, I, I forget what the techn- the scientific term is, but basically the sun turns into a white dwarf and explodes and consumes everything exactly every 22 minutes. And so you get in your spaceship and you can fly up above your entire planet 
or you can fly to a, several different other planets that all have like different biomes and different mysteries and, and areas and things to discover. Uh, but it's all on this kind of preset clock and certain things will happen at certain times. And it's basically like, it almost feels in a way like a um, uh, sort of like Dishonored or System Shock uh, what do they call them? The um, oh, Kevin, I'm blanking on the the term for that kind of genre. Uh, immersive sim, like an immersive sim, yeah. yeah, yeah, immersive sim, where really it's on you. Like just go somewhere and see what happens, and you probably you are definitely going to die over and over again, almost in a very Dark Soulsy kind of way, right? But you're learning knowledge about the universe along the way, and you can take that knowledge every time you. Uh, wake up back again at the foot of your spaceship uh, and figure out like why oh god why am I why am I alive again uh, what's going on here and discovering what the overall mystery is with this universe and why it keeps being consumed and why you keep coming back uh, as a game developer uh, obviously like you, you wrangle the narrative of a game like Divinity Original Sin 2 uh, but as a game developer, what do you think of when you try to comprehend the story and the narrative and the the, the world of Outer Wilds, Kevin? Oh my god, where to even begin? I mean, so I, I think the basis, uh, number one, as I would call Outer Wilds, probably the best pure exploration game I've ever played. Yes. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't possess combat. Um, it simplifies... And structuralizes um, a lot of the things that we've come to expect. So, so to give you an idea, for example, you can uh, you can translate uh, a, a language. You can translate an alien language when you play. And there's there's no you don't have to fiddle with buttons or anything. Everything is contextual. You know, the the, the little translation machine just comes up when you're close to alien writing, and then you just you know, you, you do your hovering and everything sort of happens for you so that the focus is always, 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 always on the exploration and on the learning and on the, and, and, and that kind of thing so that you're never fiddling with something, you know, it's, it's always about discovery. And the fact that the, I think the real triumph of Outer Wilds is how it manages to make every three minutes and every new place you go a holy shit moment you you took um, the words right out of my blurb yeah <laughs> and the, i i I've, i'm almost afraid to talk about anything specific for people who haven't played because it feels like just discussing what a moment like this can be sort of takes a little bit of the sting um but i don't think i i think when i think about this maybe i can give what seems like a major example, but until you see it in practice, what I describe doesn't re could never get across the specialness of this. So let me give, I'll give, I want to give an example because it. I think it's the best way to, to talk about outer wilds to say, here's one holy shit thing that it does. So one of the planets, or I should say two of the planets um, mm -hmm. are called the hourglass twins. And you fly up into space, you know, as you're doing your exploration and you have these two planets that, are sort of they're you know they're a, a binary system you know that one is not without the other and one of these planets is covered in sand and the other planet is essentially sucking the sand 
away from it. And it creates this sort of sandfall from one planet to the other. Um, massive like it's a, like the massive. biggest waterfall you've ever seen yeah it's incredible and as the sand gets uh gravityed away or whatever is happening to the other planet it begins to uncover the secrets underneath that you have to go down and discover um while at the same time while at the same time the uh, you know the other planets filling up and you mm-hmm. have to figure out how to get down there and, 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 you know, you only have so much time and you have to be able to discover. And, and the moment that I knew that this game was almost definitely going to be my game of the year and potentially, you know, a game of the decade, a game of a lifetime is I'm, I'm down inside the planet that is filling with sand and, and, uh, there's, there's stuff down there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, you know, fairly complicated kind of exploration as you go through this space. And a lot of a lot of what you're doing um, comes down to discovering new pieces of information um, through uh, another civilization and translating their language and discovering what has happened in the past so that you can use it to change the course of the future. And and so information is everything. Information is always the currency that you're working with in Outer Wilds. And so you go in, and what I had done is I'd, I'd go down, and of course the sa- you know, sand is slowly, slowly filling up the areas that I'm, you know, that I'm, that I'm exploring. And I finally get to a room that finally has really, really important answers. Um, and I find out something that I think is really important and incredible and gives me so much more insight, not only into what has happened before, but what I'm going to deem to do next to help change the course of the future. But it then becomes very, very apparent that I'm not getting out of there. The sand is filling. There's no way out for me in this room. And yet there's enough time that I have to sit here and think about what's about to happen to me. Because I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, and I know, of course, that you know, the, you know, my time is up, and I'm just going to simply resurrect, and I'm going to get to do it all over again. Um, but there was something... And, and I, don't, I don't want to oversell this, because I know that it's not like what actually facing your own death is like but i felt like i i had half of a percentage of a single percentage of understanding what it's like to reach a fatal point of no return right and the way that you have to sort of understand and make peace with it and that in that moment it be you know as as this as the room filled i suddenly realized that i had made peace with it and that you know i i there was something incredible in me and that's all you can really ask for in in your own life is is to you know get as much as you can in terms of of love in terms of knowledge and information and, and be at peace with who you've been once you've reached the point of no return and once you recognize that that's the point of no return. And 
I could have been horrified by it, or I could make my peace with it. And I decided in that moment to make my peace with it. Of course, it's easy. It's a video game. I'm about to resurrect. Yeah. You're going to come back. But in the end, there was something very real about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game had earned that. It wasn't because I was, you know, putting all of this, you know, emotion onto a circumstance that by any account you could consider gamey, the fact that you know you're about to die and then you're going to resurrect. But in most games, these are these are quick moments. Um, and then you're back and you don't have to think about it. You know, one of the ways Outer Wilds earned this is because it had built this expectation of me knowing of the danger. It took time to establish the danger but what was amazing about this moment was that the game had earned it. It had set up the possibility of, uh, you know, of something, something going horribly wrong. And it wasn't like a video game death where it's like, oh, I died, I resurrect, I never have to think about this again. It had, it, it was, I have to literally sit here and watch this room fill up with sand and know that it's going to take me to, um, and the entire game is just that kind of it is. constant surprise. You go to one, and it's not just huge concepts like the concept of one one planet that's siphoning sand from the other, and and the way that, that gravitationally interacts, and what that means for exploration in each place. That's one great example, but all of the examples that I could have chosen are just as holy shit as that one. I and... think. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's that's it. Like I I can I could just talk about those moments for forever. Which it is, is like it, how did you come up with this idea and then how did you make this work? It is so funny to me though that like you use the the sand planet example and the exploration of that and the like oh shit like like I, this is my fate. I know this is my fate now. Because that was the exact down to the letter example that I was going to use. And it's funny, you know, you talk a bit about resigning yourself to that fate in a very comfortable way. You know, it it makes you reflect on the mortality of your character that you're inhabiting. Um, Whereas at least the first time that I realized what was going on in that planet, I I think like I came to it a little later than I should have. I might have been like, you know, dicking around somewhere else. Uh, and I was beginning to make my way through like the first stages of kind of the underground areas. And there's like a little story. There's a little like environmental narrative kind of going on of, you know, you know that like other people went through here because you can see the the uh, language scrawlings on the wall and you can decode them. And they'll give you a couple of basic like hints of like, you know, take take a two lefts and a right kind of thing. And my brain hadn't like connected the two neurons yet to realize that like, oh, the sand from that planet is coming here and it's not just like disappearing it's it's rising on this planet i i, I think i found like a, scr- a scrawl on the wall that was like you know careful the the earth is moving the sand is the sand is rising and i look down and i'm like i'm looking into a pit like a huge pit uh and i see it and i'm like yep that is getting closer to me that is getting closer to me and so at that point, I'm like, I, I'm having my oh shit panic moment. And maybe it says something about me as a person, but I definitely panicked. I was like, uh, okay, go, 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 go. I tried remembering the directions that the previous like 
uh, scrawling headset of the directions to follow the the cave network and then i'm looking around this like room like what's wrong what's wrong and i look up and i'm like oh shit there's a hole in there that i can like jetpack through and make my way there but of course by about that point uh you're you're in so far to that tunnel network that like unless you know the perfect exact way uh you're not you're never getting out of there and to me it's funny that we make this a, a, a rumination about death and the acceptance of it. One, of course, because the universe that this game is presenting us dies every 22 minutes. But in a way, the the lives and the sensibilities of the uh, alien species that not your alien species, but the one that like left behind all this technology and, and whatnot, uh, you begin to learn like how these people were basically dealing with the heat death of the universe and you have people who are very industrious and like are looking forward to like figuring out a scientific solution to this you have people who are just kind of like little little lackadaisical they're 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 more interested in like hey i'm flirting with this person who I, i i clearly care about or have the hots for uh and then you have any number of people who are just trying to get by until uh, their, their moment comes, which seems to l- kind of line up with some of the some of the writings you find on those two sand planets is uh, people who resigned to their fate. Uh, and you may or may not ever know, like, you know, how how peacefully did they go? And yeah, I we, we see that story a lot in media, right? The Groundhog Day effect. Uh, what would you do if you had not just a second chance, but like a million chances to to come back and, you know, figure out, you know, what was wrong with uh, uh, your previous run or just the, the your mentality about life? And I, I think my specific, like, I'm resigned to the, my death, but in a really peaceful, like, accepting way came when there are a lot of games that do the, uh, like, oh, you're lost in space. Uh, or like you're floating through space, like your, your space station blew up and now you're just kind of floating out there and like, you're not getting back. You're definitely going to die. But this, because the game is completely open, uh, and like moments like that happen naturally where like you're out of jetpack fuel or you're out of oxygen or, uh, a piece of architecture just smacks you in the face and knocks you away from that thing you were trying to get, uh, I took that moment there to say like, okay, I hear that music starting that 22 minute marker music. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna look at the sun. I'm just gonna let this wash over me. And I think that there is something yeah, really beautiful about any kind of game that can say like, this isn't just the lived experience of this character I'm inhabiting. This is mine. Right. Yeah. And, and it captures that. I'm glad that it captured that for you as well as for me because it's it's easy for me to say i mean how per, you know of course games are personal and sometimes we have reactions to them that that aren't universal and that's okay um but it it means a lot to me when i hear somebody else say hey i had the same kind of emotional experience um in this game because then it starts telling me this is a you know this is a specific design choice this is something that this game is actually trying to do this is and that you know, so instead of saying, you know, this game is amazing because it's amazing to me, it's easier to say this game is amazing because it's capturing something more universal um, than, than just, hey, this is special to me, but hey, this can be special to a lot of us. 
Um, and and I really love that about it. Um, and gosh, I mean, it also runs. You know, there's also more of an you know there's more of an emotional gamut that just that part. Um, you know, there's a sense of camaraderie and friendship, um, and a lot of that comes with the you know Outer Wilds' very specific kind of humor that comes along with it sometimes. Um, the characters you meet. Yes, you come across other explorers that have left um, your planet before you, and a lot of the times it's funny, it's adorable, you know, a little bit, you know, everybody's a little bit strange in this game yeah. <laughs> um, in a very good way. Um, I think that it's very easy to... You know, not think of this as a narrative game. It's it is a narrative game. It's it's, it's, not, an, ex, it's an exploration game first, but you're piecing together a narrative of the past. And usually, I'm somebody who's like, stop making your games about about the past. You know, we've we've had enough games like Dear Esther and everybody's gone to the Rapture and everything. You know, we've we've done this a million times about you know like we're you know, we're out there discovering a story about what happened before. But this really isn't isn't to me a story about what's happened before. It's a story about what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And it's what's happening to me now, moment to moment in that game, that makes it so special. And, you know, I feel it like... And I, I say this because I want to bring up the writing, which I think is very, very, very good in Outer Wilds. And it's easy to overlook it because... Sometimes it seems kind of simple, but the reason it seems simple is because here's a way people talk to each other. You know, people talk to each other um, colloquially, and people discuss things with each other. And this is, you know, it's it's easy to say, oh, you know, I, I think about something like Disco Elysium, which is amazing, and I absolutely believe that the people in that world talk that way. But again, like I said before with Disco Elysium, I can't have people in other worlds talk that way because it doesn't make any sense and Hmm. the people in outer wilds talk that way because that's the way those people talk but it's also a familiar way of talking and you know i one thing that i appreciate is that there's only one singular pronoun which is they um and i think it's it's refreshing and nice to see that kind of you know that kind of welcoming you know, welcoming experience for people of, of any gender coming into a game like that, that, you know, all the pronouns are they, and everything is kind of built around this kind of, this kind of charm, this kind of, you know, it's interesting that a lot of the characters seem to have just sort of accepted the fate. There's, I don't think the game would work if everybody was in some kind of panic. Yeah. Um, and part of that is they don't, they don't, you know, most people don't even know that that's coming or that that's a, a, you know, a consequence or so on and so forth. Um, oh my God, I could just talk forever and ever and ever. It's funny you, (laughs) I could too. It's funny you mentioned that because like I, I, as, as you were talking there, I was thinking like, yeah, I can't, I don't remember if I was, I never happened to be around one of the Outer Wilds fellow astronauts uh when it came time for the the death of the universe um and i i I imagine that there's either got to be like a basic animation or like they just stay there and like the 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 universe you know swallows them up like anything else uh but even though there's probably not like too much mechanically to that i could believe that 
those guys sitting around, uh, well, those people, yeah, in keeping with the they, them pronouns, um, those people uh, sitting around a campfire would be like, this is fine. This is this is the way it's meant to be because this I, is the universe we inhabit. You know? Yeah, I feel I feel uh, like everybody's kind of made their peace, whether or not they know what's coming. You know, I, I and that's something that I think really really works well for this game. Um, there's there are other triumphs too in, in here. Um, one of which is sort of interface and puzzle solving and the way they fit together Um, because it's easy to talk about the emotional consequence and the holy shit moments because it's full of that but there's also smaller stuff that you know you talked before about why hasn't a game done this before Um, I would be really surprised if a game did not start tracking quest progress at some point in the way Outer Wilds does this Um, what you have is you you have essentially your ship computer which is where your quest progress is is tracked Mm -hmm. really Um, great tool and it's yeah and it's done in sort of that what's that it's not like a flow chart it's 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 that other thing and i forget the name of it kind of like a like the charlie from it's always sunny in philadelphia he's kind of got the pin board kind of thing up there of like this conspiracy connects to this conspiracy yeah there's there's a there's a word i'm looking for a a term i'm looking for that i can't quite place for for some reason about about the way we can connect ideas to each other and it's flow chartish and i'm sure somebody will comment no no there's like a oh gosh i'll remember it in the middle of the night tonight on a call Exactly. Um, but it's it's basically just this web of things that are connected to each other. And, you know, instead of going through, like, here's the quest and the name of the quest and, the, and every you know, all the things that you need to keep track of, it's just here are sort of all of your central, uh, you know, your central ideas. And they're not disconnected. Some of them connect to each other, and you can kind of follow those connections in this in this interface and and sort of follow what's going on and it's it's i don't know that it would work for a really huge game because that would be a lot to keep track of on on basically one visual screen but the way this game does it i would be surprised if more didn't do it this way because you know i can i can keep track of sort of what you know what i've done sort of where pieces are still missing because it says you know there's you know, there's something still more to discover in a particular area. And and you can you just kind of sort of make your way through it. And it's a nice nonlinear way of keeping track of what's happening in a nonlinear game. And so they fit together really, really well. And I don't think this gives anything away. I think ultimately the fact that the visuals that they use in in the you know in the shipboard computer ultimately gives you the most important clue for a puzzle in the entire game in a way that I think is super super brilliant um and I can't say more because then I'm basically giving away too much but there's 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 just something that appears um there in your in your ship interface as just part of your you know your standard record keeping that kind of helps helps you through like the final stretch and i think that that was done in a particularly brilliant way 
And then when you finally get there, I really like. Did, did you see the movie Interstellar? No, but I, I could I could certainly connect it. Yeah. So there's a little bit. If there's anything Outer Wilds reminds me of, it's Interstellar. And what's interesting is I don't actually like Interstellar all that much. A lot a lot of people love Interstellar. I'm not really a big fan, but I think what the Outer Wilds does and much more successfully than Interstellar did, but it's a similar kind of thing, which is it sort of uses the language um, of physics and the language of, uh, and, and just the realities of the world, you know, the universe around us to sort of lead you to a more, you know, mystical place um, a place where, like, the rules that you've kind of learned are all thrown out the window in a way, yeah. Yeah, and I and I, I really like the way it does that. I mean, because ultimately, you know, all of that, the physics stuff is mostly superficial. They're in, in Outer Wilds, they're using the language of physics to ultimately make a, you know, create a a, a much, a more mystical kind of, kind of way of looking at the universe. And that's one of the, also one of the reasons why I love it. Um, because obviously, you know, you know, for example, a supernova doesn't actually work that way. You know, you know, yeah. you don't, you don't see it coming as though, you know, because of course in a game you're still, you might be controlling somebody, but you're still an outside observer and, you know, light's not traveling like that and, and lots of stuff like that. It's like, this isn't really how quantum mechanics work. And there's a particular moon that you can visit and you will certainly know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Where it re- it really puts the Schrodinger's cat um, idea and and stretches that to its you know as far as that can possibly go in a really brilliant way, um, and that's kind of another thing that I love about it. Um, something that it has a little bit in common with Mass Effect as well, which is like it sort of uses you know the language of physics to help tell a, a sort of a fantasy story. And uh, I really love it for that too. I'll stop talking and let you gush for a little bit. <laughs> well, it's, it's a part of part of uh, what I definitely want to gush about is uh, the soundtrack by uh, Andrew Prolov. Uh, I probably butchered that pronunciation, but you can find it on Spotify and everything. And uh, the music really helps bring home not just like the the sense of wonder and you know you, you think like typical kind of space synthy music, but also camping, uh, banjo music, and a very simple catchy melody that like. They literally have uh, a mechanic in the game. Early, you use it more early on, uh, but it does a really good job of training you for later stuff. Where you can point your uh, kind of uh, detector wand into the sky at a different planet, and it'll highlight where the uh, like other astronaut is, and you can you can find them by that way. And there's uh, uh, one guy who whistles the same theme, you know. And uh, I, I just really thought that, like, talking to uh, the the two of the developers from uh, Mobius, they really clearly loved camping culture, and they they clearly loved uh, the the sense of isolation and um, uh, uh, adventure, and like feeling small, of course, in a larger universe. There's nothing quite like being in a forest in the middle of the night and like maybe hearing some of the nature around you to remind you that like you are small you are 
you are not insignificant. You you are you are insignificant. But even an insignificant thing can do something really important and big. Uh, so yeah, to to that effect, yeah. And uh, design wise, I can only say that. I think my one frustration with the game was that there were a couple of uh, quote-unquote puzzles that it was like, eh, I don't know, even knowing all the things that I know before and like having the the little string theory map to kind of help me connect them all together, I don't think I could have put two and two of like, oh, put this in there and like it'll give you lots of new information. Uh, but to a small, small kind of criticism in an otherwise like astoundingly well tightly designed universe it's just the fact that everything moves together so tightly the fact that like i think i think what you were getting at earlier was like going to one of the places and you can you can throw an object and because you've now learned a different set of like rules of physics uh you can use that object in a way that like You've had this object for the entire game, but now you're using it in a much different way to navigate arguably like the deadliest zone uh, of the game. And it's it's definitely like aside from the the sand falling on those uh, twin planets, easily like one of the more uh, fearful moments I've had in the game where I'm, I'm, ho- I'm holding my breath, even though I know the game doesn't care about my sound, but I'm holding my breath uh and and hoping that space and inertia takes me in the right place but i think i think overall i'm pretty good on outer wilds i think i think i've said 99 percent of what i want to say kevin i I bring you on here of course because you're a, a game designer and i feel it's just incredibly rich to have that kind of perspective what was there anything else about outer wilds that just really makes it one of your games of the decade how much time you got? Um, oh boy! I, yeah, we'll, I do, wanna... we'll do a wrap up and then we'll head on out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Minds Map was the term I was looking for before. Minds Map for whatever it's worth. <laughs> you okay. know, when I when I was thinking about like how the interface is laid out. So if you know if you know what a mind map is, you might have an idea of what that interface yeah. is like. But but yeah, Outer Wilds, um, not to be confused with the Outer Worlds, which is a very no. different game, um, <laughs> is uh, is my my game of the year. Um, it's certainly up there with my games of the the decade, my games of all time, and uh, you know, go 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 play it along with all of the other incredible games we talked about. Yeah, and I think um, it, the best kinds of games, you know, are the ones that maybe you want to like go out and share with someone that you care about, right? And say like, hey, this is an experience that I think will speak to you. Uh, and it differs for every person, of course, and uh, not everyone lands. But uh, I think every person, no matter you know how much books or movies or games they ingest, uh, or or how many kinds of adventures they've had in life, I think everyone, every human, instinctually can understand like the sense of wonder and uh, uh, exploration and discovery and self-discovery that a game like Outer Wilds really uh, encapsulates. And I think that I'm I'm so sad that I can't like wipe my brain and play it all over again, but that just speaks to the beauty of the experience itself. So Kevin, uh, as we wrap up here, um, obviously Baldur's Gate 3 is not a thing you can talk about, but I do want to ask you, what are you excited for in the future? Gate 3. 
Baldur's Gate. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? It's 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 kind of interesting because all of these games that I've been looking forward to came out in 2019, almost to the point where I've barely had time to sort of to sort of look forward um, to to what's coming next. So I'm I'm almost afraid to say, hey, um, this is what's coming that I'm most looking forward to. There's an indie game called Totem Teller, I think that I'm that is probably my most anticipated game, and it's been a long time coming. If you have a chance, just look up Totem Teller uh, and check it out and see how beautiful that is. And uh, that's that's coming from a developer called uh, Grinning Pickle um, with Ben Chrislake and Jerry Verhoeven. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, I, hopefully I didn't mispronounce their names too, too badly, but, uh, that game looks super, super delicious. And, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that it just, it, it works out well. It has this really incredible glitchy look to it. And just a, but also a shout out to all those other games in 2019 that I wasn't able to really talk about today, but I still think are, are really really great um gosh i wish i could have talked about them too i wish i wish i could have talked about blasphemous blasphemous and uh anno 1800 and all sorts of other games that i think uh could very well also have been on this list for me on a different day so thanks to everybody for making great games that make me afraid for myself so that i make such great games in the future too there's too many games, but uh, yeah. I guess we'll call it a, a glut of riches. And yeah, as I know some game developers listen to this podcast. So whether you put a game out this year or yesteryear or next year, uh, I want to thank you guys for doing what you do and for creating the uh, the art that really makes a year like 2019 uh, so goddamn special and allows me to have these kinds of conversations and celebrate the, the things that help make my life special. So uh, yeah, Kevin, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh, on Twitter, I am FiddleCub, F-I-D-D-L-E-C-U-B, like a violin and then a bear. Uh, and uh, aside from that, go buy Earth Knight, go buy Divinity Originals yep. 2. <laughs> go buy um, Earth Knight right now. Yeah, when it, you know, it's when Christmas, it comes treat to, yourself. Yeah, when it comes time, I hope that everybody loves Baldur's Gate 3, and uh, aside from that, oh God, thanks to everybody that is... Uh, helps make me the person that I am now. You know who you are. (laughs) And you know what, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Like I, like I said, Divinity Original Sin 2 is one of my all time favorite games. And, uh, you know, thank you for having a hand in that. And uh, folks, you can find a new episode of the 1099 every Monday. We are going to be taking a little bit of a break for the holidays, as you can imagine. Uh, So this Game of the Year talk will have to tide you over for a couple of weeks. But we're going to be rolling into 2019 really strongly. Got a couple of cool things lined up. And as always, Josiah is acting as my personal secretary slash enforcer. (laughs) It's, uh, It's a good time. And uh, yeah, you can find the show every Monday-ish on your uh, podcast platform of choice. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud is the primary one. And please, please, please share the episode if you like it. Uh, tell us what you thought of our choices and let us know what your game of the year is. I'm at Joseph Noop, K-N-O-O-P on Twitter. And hey, we will see you in the new year. <laughs>